My goal has been to just become a more complete golfer, and I, and I feel like I'm I'm on the journey to doing that. But I definitely I'm as as, as I'm as complete a golfer as I feel like I've ever been, and, and hopefully I can continue on that on that path. Hello, welcome to the latest episode of the Bunkered Podcast in association with Callaway. Michael McEwen here. Thank you very much as ever for tuning in. 21st of November as we record this. Santa will soon be on his way. Only a few more episodes of the Bunker Podcast this year. So there's still lots to, that we have to pack in. Bryce Ritchie, Bunker Editor. He is ready and raring to go this morning, ladies and gents. He's full of the joys of life. Good morning, Bryce. Good morning. As I said, full of the joys of life. <laughs> <laughs> How are you? I'm fine. Good weekend. I'm fine. Good weekend. The most underwhelming, miserable start to a World Cup that I can remember. It was poor, wasn't it? I mean, let's be honest, not not the two teams that anyone's got a huge amount of interest in watching unless you happen to be Qatari or Ecuadorian. But <laughs> even so, it was pretty But flat. Usually, usually you're excited of the first game of World Cup, no matter who it is. That's because you're usually sitting in a beer garden, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's reasonably nice weather it just doesn't feel like a world cup i've defrosted my, i've never defrosted my car in the morning of a world cup it's not right it's not right but look that's what fifa wanted that's what they've got so screw them yeah it's depressing though isn't it it is a little bit there will be a little bit of world cup chat later on on the show we've got a very special guest joining us after the break we'll maybe save some more of the world cup chat till then save the misery yeah. until later <laughs> shall we talk about golf instead because like the 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 clues in the name really is the bunker golf yes, podcast absolutely. so a busy weekend a lot of things being wrapped up particularly in the dp world tour rory mcelroy winning the race to dubai john ram winning the dp world tour championship in dubai i think the third time now that the spaniards got his hands on that incredible looking scepter but Rory it is who wins the order of merit title it completes a pretty impressive year for Rory you know winning the FedEx Cup standings now the race to Dubai and of course getting back to world number one and consolidating his place there we've spoken about Rory probably more than any other golfer on this podcast Bryce since the show started two and a half years ago we've That's had good moments a we've, huge fan yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. not gonna deny it We've had highs, we've had lows, but it feels now like we're on a bit of a more consistent high with Rory. Where is he at just now? He didn't win the tournament, obviously, but won the the, the bigger prize almost. Where, where are we at with Rory? I see yesterday and generally his year is a bit of a statement. And we're, I've, how many times have I said this? We're going into another year excited about Rory. You're going to need chained down <laughs> to a chair. As he drinks his coffee from his master's mug, yes, salivating at the prospect. Going to need, somebody's going to need to give you Valium to calm <laughs> you down because it's, we seem to do this all the time. But I will say this, that's the sign of a good player. It's a bit funny with his European Tour record because he hasn't won that much on the European Tour. I think he's actually not won... I think he's won twice in six years. That's, that's his, he hasn't won in... Is it three years? I think November 2019 was his last DP World win. Decent knowledge, Briggs. Thank you. But obviously, he's won where it matters yeah. in the States this year. He just hasn't come good in the in the, in the the events that he wants to come good in. Mm -hmm. But the, the majors, you mean. But again, yeah. this year, worst finish, eighth. 
at the PGA. Absolutely. He's getting there. You would have to say, has Rory ever played better golf? Probably not sure he has. I think he's entire game stretch of time. Yeah. His entire game's there. And I think if he'd he wasn't far off at the weekend, he just didn't hold a lot of putts. And that's in his stats when he's played in Europe, his putting stats are not particularly good. So whether that's a case of he's coming into different environments, I don't know, different greens, different grasses, and he's just not got used to it. Because Rory does quite quite a bit of travelling. I don't know whether that's a, an excuse or not, but he just hasn't really putted that well in, in when he's played DP. But he's putted phenomenally on the PGA Tour. I mean, it's night and day. Yeah. He's never finished inside the top 20 in strokes gain putting on the PGA Tour until this year. Uh-huh. And you have to remember, two years ago, he was about 130th yeah. in that category. And the work he's done with Brad Fax, and I know there's been a couple of slight setup changes, like small things, but uh-huh. it's marginal gains at that level. Yeah, yeah. So the change that he's made to his setup, was it before he went out to the Middle East? I think he was saying that he felt he would start to creep a little bit too far away from the ball. His eye line was too far inside. That was leaving his right arm out of his side. He just, he'd noticed there were a couple of things that to the untrained eye were... Uh-huh. Nothing, but to his eyes, going they're slightly off. That makes a huge difference to somebody at that level. And his driving's phenomenal. He's always been a good driver of the ball, but every now and then it just goes a bit awry. But he's a great driver of the ball. And then after the Masters, he tweaked from the middle of the fairway. So from the three most important parts of the game, off the tee, middle of the fairway and on the green, he's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. And when he's in full flow, he's fantastic. And everyone says that, but... I just do think that he's got a major hurdle coming in a few months. And that has consistently been Rory's big problem, that he can't get over that hurdle. When he does, it'll be a constant gravy train, I'm sure of it. When but, you say the Masters that's is a, a hurdle, massive, are you talking about a psychological Of course one? it is, yeah. He, he knows. He knows when he turns up. But the one thing is, I think Rory's put himself under pressure this year and he's dealt with it. Like mm-hmm. Rory's taken abuse. He's not popular. He's not as popular as people say he is. He gets pounded on social media for his live comments. And it's water off a duck's back. He's not bothered. He's played consistently good golf this year whilst being roundly critiqued by almost 50% of the golf audience out there. And particularly the loud one in the States. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that is... To me, when he walks into Augusta, it's not like it'll be something new on his shoulder. You'll be used to the eyeballs. And he's always used to that, but it's different now. It's like he's got a point to prove. I think he's better prepared to deal with the psychological pressure of it as well because he's always been a... The thing about Rory is he's always been a deep thinker. He's very articulate, but he's also exceptionally passionate and emotional, and uh-huh. that can be a recipe for disaster. I remember 2019... His master's preview interview, he was talking about the books that he'd been reading, you know, stuff by Ogmandino and Ryan Holiday. And you're going, oh, Rory, calm down. Like these sort of modern day philosophers and stoicists who talk about how you deal with the pressure of expectation and the pressures of success. He's reading books about that as if that's going to be the key to unlock it. And I'm thinking, sitting in the room going, nope, that's actually making it tougher. I think the biggest switch has been since going to Bob Rotella early doors in 2021. I think things like that can take a little bit of time before they start to come through and come good, but they have. And I think Rory himself spoke about that earlier this year, the influence that Rotella's had in just giving him a bit more of a, a quiet mind. There's less going on upstairs. He's less cluttered in his thought processes. 
He's not obsessing over, I must do this because Bryson's doing that. He just yeah, seems, he seems to have found to have a bit moved. more of an inner peace. Spouts found a bit more Rory. Yeah. I do think that when he goes into Augusta, I mean, here we are talking about Augusta. Already, <laughs> but, he, but do you know what? That's that's that, where we are. That's where we are. And and that's where he's thinking as well. Of course but it is. But he is statistically, performance-wise and his stats-wise, he is statistically going to be a much better, and I don't mean better, he's a much better player get into Augusta next year than he was this year. So to me, that will feed into him. That will give him confidence. Of course it will. However, you've got to go and get it done. When you get hot, you've got to take your chance because someone, someone look at Scotty Scheffler. Mm -hmm. Scotty Scheffler at the start of this year, we were all thinking, who the hell is going to beat Scotty Scheffler? I can't remember the last time we spoke about when he was a... An informed player. Yeah. It seems like Rory's just taken over. And that's and the thing for Rory, for Rory we'll fans, that. isn't it? Yeah. You know, the fact that Rory's been able to sustain this heater that he's been on throughout the entire year. Have there been enough wins? Or the DP World Tour? Certainly not. But there's been enough there to give you excitement, genuine excitement for what he could produce next year. It was interesting for me to hear him yesterday talk about switching his ball after the Texas Open. So he'd been playing a tailor-made TP5, then went to a TP5X, lower spinning ball, travels in robot testing a little bit further, and you can see that in his stats. He's getting the ball to go a couple of yards extra on average, still missing a, a lot of fairways, but his fairway finding's gone from 57% to 58%, so he's making gains there as well. But the big thing is in the, the middle of the fairways you've spoken about before. Last season in the PGA Tour, or rather 2021, he was 99th in green, greens and regulations, yeah. 65th in approach play from 125 to 150 yards. This year, 12th in greens and regulation and 5th from 125 to 150 yards. Strokes gained tee to green up from 10th to 2nd. The other thing about the TP5X suits a higher ball flight, so he's getting more of the drop and stop. When it comes to being able to hit a ball on the number a certain distance, Rory is the man. You know, there's nobody on tour out with Tiger, I think, that can hold a candle to him when it comes to Rory hit that ball 171 yards. Yeah, he will do it. Yeah, he's scary But the good. problem he had was uh, that he was having to feed the ball in and roll it in and bounce yeah, it in. Yeah, and then and when, when he was doing that, Augusta on the Saturday, I, I thought he was really poor. And that, that's his, that was his problem. Never forget when the 10th, he shouted down in his approach, he just said, there's just something not... It's just a can't. It's just not right, and that you're not going to win anything playing like that. There are too many good players out there that will come and sweep it the, from under you. So he, he knew he had to address that. But the facts are, he's a better player going to next year, but he's under the same pressure, and potentially that pressure is a little bit heavier in his shoulders because it's another year without it. He hasn't won a major for a long, long time. Eight and a half going on, nine years. It's a years. long, long time. And mm -hmm. for a guy that good, I don't care what anyone says, that niggles at you and it hurts. Because deep down he knows he's better than everyone else and he hasn't won none. Now, he will look at the guys that have won majors and he will know, wait a minute, I, I play consistently better golf than him. Mm -hmm. Consistently better golf. How has this happened? But the one way, to get, one thing I've got, Rory's got more than everyone else. I think he's got Phenomenal determination, and he's got, as we've seen, considering well, we all critique him, put him under pressure. He's got phenomenal staying power, phenomenal staying power, 
and he's been better over the course of four rounds this year than he has in previous years. Spot on. He's absolutely got that. So I'm not saying I've got tremendous vibes for Augusta, but I am struggling to pick someone else to mm-hmm. really be a star at Augusta over him. Right here, right now, 27 minutes past 10 on Monday the 21st of November 2022. Will Rory win a major in 2020? A major? I'm not going to put you under the gun for the you last have, but will he would, win a major? You would have to say there's no messing about. It's like a normal season now where he bumps into the next season. He gets his, you know, he's he's not getting the new baby syndrome thing happening. Is that's nappy all, factor. It's a nappy factor. It's all normal. So I would say, you would have to say at the moment, you'd be crazy to say no. He's far too So you're good. saying yes. Rory, yeah, he's going to win a major. You're saying Rory will win a major. Yes, I, I, think he, I think he should win a major. Something dramatic has to happen for him not to do that. But you look at it, you look at the, it's the little things that happen. You look at that Sunday afternoon, that stretch of holes from the ninth green to the 16th at St Andrews. It just didn't happen. If you're, if you're thinking the first four or five holes at, Augusta, at uh, St Andrews, I'm thinking if he gets a few birdies, he's going to win this. Like he just needs to get a few birdies. Then he gets the ninth green and it just, it just doesn't happen. Think just hole a putt, and he doesn't hole a putt. He gets one to like fifteen feet, doesn't hole a putt, doesn't hole a putt, and then Casmith holes a putt. And you think that's how it happened? That is that is Rory just doesn't hole a putt when he needs to. Don't think that that cannot happen again at Augusta. Someone will come at him. He's if he plays his best golf, I think he's going to be hard to beat. I don't buy. I've always said I don't buy this argument that if if, if he plays his golf best golf, he's going to win. Look, if Dustin Johnson turns up and plays his best golf, I have no idea whether that best golf against Rory is going to be good enough. No one knows that. So I think if he turns up and gives it everything, he's going to be very, very hard to beat. That's all I can say. But he should win a major next year. Here's hoping. I'm not even going to pretend to be impartial on this. I want to see Rory win a major. He's one of us. You know, he's he's the closest thing that we have in... Europe to an absolutely huge megastar. I tell you what, and he is—he's overdue. There's mo- the only person that wants Rory to win a major more than his dad, Jerry, is Jim Monin. Well, yes, there is that. He won the race to Dubai, though, which is great for Keith Pelly. <laughs> <laughs> like it's 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 really tricky to talk about. You know, should Rory have won the race to Dubai and all that sort of stuff, but. We've seen this now for a number of years. There are definite flaws in that system in the way the players are given points. We'll come on to the world rankings, which is a, a similar but different state of affairs in a second. But Rory winning the race to Dubai without winning on the tour, I can I can get that. That's fine. But he only played 10 events. Ryan Fox played 24, won twice and was second. John Ram played nine events, was third. You look down the list, Tommy Fleetwood was fifth. He played 14 events. But then you've got Will Zalatoris, who hasn't hit a ball for two months, three months nearly, played six DP World events, four of them majors, and finished seventh yeah, on the standings. He, 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 that, that's it. He played two regular DP World events and got a top 10 in the money list. And that, like I say, this, this isn't a new thing. It's not a new you, thing. You Patrick Reid did it a few years ago, yeah. Well, last year, Colin Morikawa, 10 events, won it. Horschel, 11 events, second. Ram, 9 events, third. 
But then you've got Minwoo Lee, who had won a Rolex Series event, the Scottish Open, played 21 times and was sixth on the rankings. It just... Hmm, it's an it, These kind of rankings are always going to be imperfect, but it is extraordinarily imperfect these yeah, days. They've it, had to make a lot of concessions. Yeah, and, and that's why they're in the position they are. It's just, If you don't have top players playing on a regular basis in your standard events, your tour is weak. It's going to struggle. And that it's been happening... It started happening in 2005, 2006, when Ernie started playing abroad and guys started moving away and the PGA Tour got a bit stronger. Then they started arguing about, you know, should we be playing 16 times a year <laughs> or let's go to 13? Then he made it 12 and it's 11 and it's just become a mess because you don't really have to play much. And, and Rory has Keith Pelly over a barrel because Rory will not want to play that many events. And why should he? Rory looks after Rory and he supports the tour and they need him for the Ryder Cup and Rory wants to play Ryder Cup. But there isn't a hope in hell that Rory McIlroy is going to want to be playing eight or nine standard European Tour events. Those days are gone. And when your chief executive, Keith Pelly, effectively says that they're a supporting tour to the PGA Tour and then if it backtracks, the players all know that. Players are sort of being... Well, he called the PGA Tour the pinnacle of men's professional golf, but insisted that the European tour, DP World Tour isn't a feeder tour to it. Uh, Sorry, that the, the two don't stack up then. No, and uh, that, it, it's been happening for the past 20 years, and it's kind of been the same for the last five or six. But if you play two regular DP World events and get a top 10 in the money list, you can't really take that seriously. I think the Tour's... In a really bad way. It's where the LET has been for a few years. The LETs had the same issue. They had players, you know, second on their money list who only played two events, three events. Very, very poor. Can it be resolved? No. I genuinely don't think it can. They are where they are. How on earth are they going to resolve it? The only way they can resolve it is to use the power of the Ryder Cup. And that's where they say, right, instead of 11 events, you now need to play 15. And they need to get three extra, four extra events out of Rory, but they're not going to do that. Player power will, is far too strong. So that is not going to happen. Players, as we all know, want to play less. They don't want to play more. And spend more time with your family. And yeah. So. And, the P and the PGA Tour has made an effort to tie players down to their events. So it's all become a bit of a shit show. And then you look at the consequences in, in the States is that PGA Tour has lost its longest-running sponsor, Honda, because Honda's basically up against what Jay Monaghan's put up his elevated events. And, and hasn't elevated going, Honda. Yeah. yeah, and we're going, wait a minute, we're paying, what, $5 million every year to be part of this event, and we're not considered one of the best events? I think we'll take our money elsewhere. Not just that, but we're now no longer going to have all of the best players involved. Yeah. Because you've banned them. Ah. You know, you've, you've... It's a... Interesting point, actually. Jay Monaghan's decision to ban players who play on live from playing in the PGA Tour. Cost his tour. Has he consulted sponsors? Mm -hmm. I mean, they're the people who keep the lights on. You Did you consult them and say, by the way, this is going to happen? What do you think? What's your input? He's still got to run the show. He's still got to call the shots. But you have to take counsel from the people who are important. He who pays the yeah. piper and all that sort of stuff. Not convinced that he did. There are so many voices now. There yep. are so many major tours. You know, there, there's now, effectively, there's now three and we were already struggling with two. <laughs> so when and the third one is 
pretty big and it's got a lot of money. I wonder if Honda might show up there as one of their Well, you never know. Partners. The other rankings issue that we've got, race to Dubai aside, we're, we're, I think we're agreed it's almost impossible to resolve that problem. I'm not even sure Keith Pelly necessarily sees it as a problem. He'll look at the rankings and say, Rory, John Ram, you know, Fleetwood, Fitzpatrick, all up there at the top. I'm good with that. D- don't look at how many times they've played. Not important. And I wouldn't be surprised to see the number of events they've played go from the rankings in the next couple of years because they've already stripped other things out from the, the, yeah, the they, tour website. You know, they, you know. they took the world rankings off their tour website so you couldn't see what the world rankings were at a tournament, which says it all. Yeah. They're going, actually, this doesn't look good. Get rid of that. Yeah, so just wonder. On the world rankings, obviously a lot of talk about that in the last few weeks, but particularly last week with John Ram calling the, the current state of affairs laughable. You can see his point. John Ram has won twice. I think he's had a fourth place finish, a third place finish, and he hasn't moved from fifth, which isn't great. Last week, can't remember the exact number of top 25 players that were playing in Dubai, but there were a number. No top 25 players in the world playing in the RSM Classic, and yet there were more world ranking points to be played for over there. You talk about a shit show, Bryce. What is going on with the world? Rankings? Yeah, but it's a bit of an. Uh, it's not as straightforward as that. I think John Ram's wrong. In I what think, way? Because when you don't turn up at the majors, you're not going to get the benefit of that. The majors give you big points. Everybody knows that, and he hasn't really done that. So it doesn't really surprise me that his his wins, which weren't premium events, whatever you would call it, they weren't mega. They're not going to give him what he wants. He's you, you. You get your points from the majors. That's where it happens. So, so I kind in of, his I last really two, three, four, five, six. His last seven angry. starts, he's finished tied fifth, tied eighth, tied sixteenth, tied second, first, tied fourth, and first. And he has moved from sixth to fifth. Yeah, in that time. But the the thing that slightly concerns me is that we've gone from like when John Ram became world number one. What was it, last year? No one was complaining. No one was complaining when DJ was world number one for like two years. But now that we've got to a point where we're a wee bit, oh, well, our tour's not getting the points. Oh, well, we should get rankings. These rankings suck. So is this whiny Europeans? Is this what yeah, we're saying? Yeah, I'm not really buying that. I don't I don't think they're... I'm quite surprised that some of the... Some of the guys in the States that are like David Love the Third's talking about we should maybe, you know, revisit the world rankings and stuff and use the money lists. And you're like, wait a minute. Davis Love the money Third's lists. opinion at this point has to be taken with a pinch of yeah. salt. Is this not the man that said that players would strike if play, if live players yeah. were allowed to play in PGA Tour if events? If you're taking if we're doing this by money, mate, the world number one plays on the live tour, not mm-hmm. the PGA tour if we're doing it by money. Well the top forty eight's going to be yeah. pretty much live. So be careful what you wish for. <laughs> yeah. So I think I don't think we need to reinvent the world rankings. I just think we need to. But that's what they did. They pretty much reinvented. Well, they, it. yeah, they, they they well they didn't reinvent it. They made some tweaks, and I I don't to think benefit really, yeah. the PGA Tour. Uh huh. And I, I think that's a bit ridiculous. So I think the question has to be asked then to Keith Pelly and the rest of the people at the DP World Tour. Why did you make such uh-huh. hefty concessions? I, I think because they're being given a lifeline. But they had. It's not like they needed the lifeline. They had a choice. They could have gone with PGA Tour or they could have gone with Live. They actually well, had a tremendous that, that, bargaining that, that, position. But that is a year ago. And I, I know what you're saying, but that's a long time ago. And So it's almost like they've made the wrong decision and now they're paying for the consequences? Yeah, 100%. Yes. I know I, 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 I get all that. But if, if you were to take Keith Pelly now 
and put them in a room with the Saudis and the team they were organising and said, look, here's how this is going to play out. See, in a few years, you're going to be in this position. Why don't we do this? Keith Bailey would bite their hand off. Mm -hmm. But hindsight's a great thing. Yeah, I mean, from afar... Keith Bailey did not know... Of course, all no, those no, no. players were going to go. Keith Bailey did not know that Cam Smith, and he, he the reigning he, he, Open he, champion, no one's going to blame him for that. But uh, I think what we have to do is take stock, and maybe it's a little bit unfair to just have not all the information necessarily. But you look at it and you say, Keith, how has this happened that the European keep saying it, the DP World Tour appears to be in such a weak position? I know he's talking it up and he's saying Dubai sold out last week, seventy thousand people there. I'm not. I'm not. I'll be honest. There are events in the PGA Tour that don't get out of bed for 70,000 people to show up in a week. Uh-huh. So let's just calm the excitement. I know you're putting the sold-out signs on. Not actually that impressive. Real terms, not that big of a deal. You could say to him, how is it in the position it's in when not all that long ago it was wanted by both sides, the PGA Tour and Live. Your bargaining position, as I keep saying, was exceptional. You could have got so much better of a deal out of it. Why be in this position where mm. the RSM Classic is more world ranking points yeah. than your flagship event, your season-ending event? Because, by the way, that doesn't happen to the Tour Championship and the PGA Tour. It's a mess. But this, I've always said that, this is why people, CEOs in those positions get massive salaries because they have to, to balls fix things it. up. They have, no, they have to fix it and they have to make big decisions. Sometimes those decisions work. Mm-hmm. There will be points where Joe, Jay Monaghan will think, you know what, this is working for me right now. But it's at a cost mm-hmm. as well. And they've already lost Honda. They will not be the only one I think will go. Yeah, They'll have I to fill that gap. Then as soon as you fill that gap, it won't be with a, a sponsor that's got any great history with the tour, which means something new, which means it won't be elevated, which means it won't have the money. And then it won't get the players. Mm-hmm. And you're back to square one. And by the way, I, I really like Keith Pelley. Yeah, I, I like said, him as I well. Before, I think he's been great for the tour. Uh-huh. I just think he's made some pretty bad mistakes. Uh-huh. The guy saved the tour, by the way, during uh-huh. COVID. What he and the team did to manage to get any kind of a schedule off the back of 2020, unbelievable. I mean, genuinely, he earned his salary that year and every year for the next three just off the work he did in those few months. Extraordinary. Mm-hmm. But they've made, I think, personally, I think they've made the wrong call and they're paying the price. Sad to see. Let's switch our attention to the women's game, shall we? Lydia Cole. My God, Lydia Cole has won the CME Group Tour Championship. Absolutely incredible win. It's been a bit of a strange year for Lydia because she's been winning again and at the same time she's split with Sean Foley and eyebrows are being raised at that same time. Wait a minute, why has she gone and done that? But let me just throw some numbers at you for a second, Bryce. Lydia Cole, she's a two-time major champ, a winner now of 19 LPGA events. She's a three-time LPGA Order of Merit winner, CME group, if you want to call it. An Olympic silver medalist, big for you, I know. An Olympic bronze medalist, former world number one, the fifth highest earner in LPGA history. And she's 25 years old. I know, it's outrageous. She won for the first time a decade ago. What? You know, it's unbelievable. It's so, extraordinary. I mean, I've, I've written it in the notes here, and I almost feel stupid saying this. But is it a case to be made that she's the most underrated player in the game? No, I think, I think, I think, I think people who follow golf rate Lydia Cole big style. 
but there's maybe it's just the fact that she should be a bigger star. She should be a bigger star than Lexi, but I'm actually not sure she is. But she's a different personality to yeah, Lexi. Yeah. She's not the same type of person. But what impresses me about she she's similar to Rory. She's got unbelievable staying power because she's 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 taken more heat than most PGA Tour stars because she's made big decisions. She drops coaches. She's had a lot of coaches. She's had more caddies than I've had curries. That's saying something. She's. I think she's had about twelve <laughs> or thirteen caddies or something in her career, and she's twenty-five years old. That's uh, that's strange. Yeah. She's got a, an absolute tunnel vision of Big what time. she wants to do. Should she have more majors? Yeah, but you know what? She's twenty-five. But the other thing is that. LPG tour careers tend to be shorter than PGA tour careers. They tend to oh, they start families. I mean, there's yeah, that to consider. That's what it is. So she's got to get going. But she's a phenomenal talent. She's a huge talent from when she was a a, a little girl, mm-hmm. and she's kept going. And that, as we well know, is not easy to do. Oh, look at all the phenoms that have flamed yeah. out. Hello, Ty Tryon. Yeah, God, one of our peers, Michelle Wee. Yeah, yeah, didn't 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 really do a lot. You know, she won a major, and I think she won about four or five events. But she's talked about more than Lydia Ko. But Lydia Ko's five times ago for Michelle Weas, and that that's just that's the nature of it. You know, she's quite a subdued character. I think our our interview this year where she was talking about her time of the month, I thought was just showed brilliant class. Yeah, she's really she's a funny girl. She dealt with that really really well. She's full of self-confidence. Showed a level of maturity and just comfort in being uncomfortable. Uh-huh. Talking about that yeah. in front of the media. That easy. shouldn't be easy to do. Yeah, yeah. And she just, it was like it was the most natural uh-huh. thing that and she prop, could possibly talk about. Props to the interviewer for ta- for taking that that way. Yeah. She dealt with it really well. But the, the, the standard of play in the LPGA is unreal. Um, there's so many good players. But... She's one of the best players in the game. She's our world number one. She's going to go into those events next year as the player to beat. But the LPGA is hugely, hugely competitive. It is. And it's going to get more competitive with all the money that's been thrown at it. $100 million in prize money up for grabs next year, which is exceptional. Lydia herself picked up the single biggest check in women's professional golf history at the weekend, $2 million for, for winning the CME Group Tour Championship. A little bit of an issue, though. So, let me tell you about CME Group CEO, Terry Duffy. Bryce. We love sponsors. We love what sponsors. What does CME do? Finance, I think. Yeah, exciting. Um, so, CME Group has been the title sponsor of the season-ending event on the LPGA now since 2011. They've continued to invest, continued to support. It's a big deal for them. So much so that they now have integrated in recent years their annual business conference into the week of the tournament. So on Tuesday night, there's a big dinner held at the Ritz-Carlton in Florida where past presidents show up, secretaries of state, business tycoons, they all get together in a room and it's CME Group's opportunity to shine a light and say, Look how great we are. Oh, and by the way, we've got a huge golf tournament taking place this week. So, Tuesday last week, Mr Duffy stands up and he's presenting to the room full of dignitaries and luminaries. 
and says, you know, obviously delighted that we've been able to support the LPGA, blah, blah, blah. Lots of players attend this event usually. And so he's at the lectern and said, now I'd just like the, the room lights to go up and I'd like all the players in the room to stand up so we can applaud them. Up go the lights and the only people standing up are the waiters and waitresses. Not a single golfer in the room. Needless to say, he wasn't best pleased. He felt very embarrassed and he told Golf Week, fantastic get by Beth Ann Nichols, this story, by the way, told Golf Week that unless the LPGA leadership gets its act together and avoids these faux pas in future, they're going to end up losing sponsors like him. A pretty hefty warning. Don't know if it's a hollow threat or a real threat, but a threat nonetheless. How did they let that happen? Well, it's a huge... It's a huge turnaround for the LPGA because they were better than anyone at dealing with that. You, you know, you spoke to Mike Wan and he told you all about their their plans for looking after the sponsor, looking after the sponsor where players would turn up during tournament week. They would get their welcome pack and they would say, "Here's the hashtags for the sponsor. Here's the handle for the sponsor. Please show them some love. If you see them, go up and say hello and things." And and they did that, and um, they're clearly not pushing that anymore. Because that is, that is poor. You know, sponsors want something back. They don't just want the exposure in the media and on the TV. They want their play. They want you know that loving touch. So they want the thanks from the players. You know, if they're not getting that, John gone. Should say the LPGA commissioner Molly Marcus Salmon was there. She has said that. It was a blunder. She's taken full responsibility. She says it's not going to happen again. But I, I think the point there is that these things didn't happen on Mike Wan's watch. That's something that he yeah. was very, very almost militant about. He identified the problem when he came in and replaced Carolyn Bivens, 2008, 2007, said that's an area that we can improve. We need the money, so we're going to have to do everything we can to ensure that we get it and keep it. I'm not saying that since he left that has been abandoned but he wouldn't have made that mistake mm -hmm. he would have made sure players were there so do you cut them a bit of slack or do you give them a slap on the wrists I think it's probably the latter this is your biggest week of the year it's your biggest sponsor of the year who forgot to check that players were going to show up somebody did and you know what you mentioned it earlier about Honda Classic the PGA losing that sponsorship it can and does happen so yeah Pays to get the details right. Anyway, before we head to the break, Matt Fitzpatrick, Bryce, James Corrigan and The Telegraph reporting over the weekend. Matt Fitz will not be at the BBC Sports Personality of the Year ceremony next month. They've moved it to a Wednesday night. Used to be a staple of a Sunday night before Christmas, but they've moved it to a Wednesday. You're, you're a staple. Yeah, uh, yeah, well, I've not really been a huge fan of it for a number of years. Go and read the website and you'll see what my thoughts are <laughs> on it. But uh, yeah, no Matt Fitz at Media City in Salford. I'm not hugely surprised. He's 150 to 1 to win it. No. Despite winning the US Open, despite breaking the world's top you know, 10 he, for the first time. There's a World Cup on and you know, all, thorts of thing, all sorts of things have happened. Lionesses. Lionesses and, you know, the BBC... Are not that bothered about golf. I actually listened to BBC this morning and they mentioned golf. They mentioned John Ram and they mentioned Rory. I think impressive, but it was at the end of their sports bulletin. And finally, and John finally, Ram. Yeah. yeah. 
But that's it. They're, look, the BBC are just not invested in golf. You just they did have highlights it. of Dubai on last I'm night sure on BBC Two. I think it was yeah, about three in the morning. No, 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 no. no. Yeah, Decent they're just time. not that. They're just not that invested in golf, mm. and they haven't been for a good fifteen years. 15, 20 years. So and it doesn't surprise me. I think the last spotty they gave golf, what, three and a half minutes? Yes, if that. If that. You think of all the incredible achievements that there's been in golf. So Justin uh -huh. Rose, the last British player to win the US Open before Matt Fitzpatrick, he was ninth out of 10 shortlisted people to win the award. So I can see why Matt can't be bothered going. I don't blame him in the slightest. Not at all. And look, your point about the BBC is absolutely fair. I think that's reflected in golf's performance in the big prize. I know it's won Team of the Year awards and Monty won Coach of the Year in 2010 for his Ryder Cup captaincy, which in itself demonstrated their lack of awareness of how golf actually works. I know. But in the main award, and here's a little quiz for you, Bryce. Oh, for Christ's sake. It's a Monday. Yep. Golfers have made the top three at the BBC Sports Personality of the Year main award on nine occasions. Seven different players. Name them. Darren Clark. Twice, in fact. 2006 and 2011. Rory McIlroy. In 2014, he was second to Lewis Hamilton. Surely the car should have won it, but whatever. <laughs> oh, no. Two out of seven. Good start. Incredible. <laughs> he didn't. No, bollocks. Yeah. That was Graham McDowell for those unfamiliar with Bryce's impression. Was robbed. 2010. Clearly should have won it. At least been top three. Father's Day. Pebble. <laughs> Unbelievable. Incredible. Uh, oh, this is tricky. So you've missed the two golfers that won it. Hmm. How far back are we going here? The Sports Personality of the Year Award first presented, I think, in 1954. All right. Faldo. Yes. He won it in 1989. Was he? He was third in 1987. Three to go. <sighs> You're struggling. I'm struggling. Okay, do you want a clue? Yeah. All pre-1990. Oh, bollocks. And there's a Scot, an Englishman, and a Welshman. Bernard Gallagher? No. A Welshman? Mm-hmm. Another Welshman, I should add, because you've said woozy already. Brian Huggett? No. Sandy Lyle? Correct. He was third. Third in 1988. The year third. that he won the Masters. Who beat Sandy Lyle in 1988? <laughs> who won 1988? Steve Davis. Steve Snooker. Davis. And Adrian Moorhouse was second for swimming. Adrian Moorhouse. Honestly. Adrian Moorhouse beat Sandy Lyle. Yeah. Do you for know who, swimming. You know, it's amazing that Woozy was third in 87, but in 1991, when he won the Masters, he didn't crack the top three. Third was Lineker, second was Will Carling, and first, fair enough, was Liz McColgan. Will Carling, there is a... But what does Will Carling do these days? He probably wakes up crying at the thought of what uh, David Soule and the team did to him in 1990 yeah, at, at Murrayfield. That's a heartbreak, eh? Yeah, what a shame. That's a wee shame. 
So you've got two to go, an Englishman and a Welshman. Walk into a bar. <laughs> an Englishman. An Englishman pre-1990. They haven't won majors. Not enough of them. I'm really struggling. Oh. No, it can't be. Going to give you 10 seconds. Tony Jacklin. Correct. Yes. So, Tony Jacklin was second twice. 1969, when he won the Open. And 1970, when he won the US Open. US Would you Open. like to know who beat Tony Jacklin in 69 and 70? 1969. It's probably a football player or something. No. Or Schreiner or something like that. Frankie de Tori or something? No. Well, they used in 69. <laughs> Frankie de Tori would have been two. In 69? <laughs> Not even sure his dad was two. <laughs> Who beat Tony Jacklin in 1969? Tennis player Ann Jones. Ann Jones. Yes. And in 70, he was beaten by Henry Cooper. All right. I don't know the Welshman. The Welshman, so, as I said, the prize started in 1954. Probably Sunday Jones. Chris Chatham. You were going to say Jones there, weren't you? No, Chris Chataway was the first winner, an athlete. He finished ahead of Roger Bannister. It was four years later, no it wasn't, it was three years later, 1957, that a golfer got his hands on it for the first time. Finishing ahead of Derek Ibbotson and Formula One driver Sterling Moss, it was... Diaries. Diaries. Bollocks. Not bad, Bryce. Six out of seven. Not bad. But there you go, you look at some of the names that, I'm, I'm not even kidding, some of the names that have won it, never, mean, never mind being in the top three, and you think, how has a golfer never managed to eclipse that? The, the best was Zara Phillips winning in 2006 ahead of Darren Clark. Zara Phillips? Yeah, for eventing. Event, dancing horses, that's yep. what she does, isn't it? Yep, Phil Taylor, darts, 2010, darts. was second. Darts. You've Graham McDowell didn't even crack the list. No, I, I like playing the arrows myself, but uh, you know, I, I feel like I was overlooked that year. <laughs> so yeah, but like pool is a points-based game. <laughs> it was a snooker, isn't it? You've not seen it? Go and look at this video on YouTube of G Mac showing you behind the scenes of his house. He designs his house on his laptop at two in the morning at a tour event. Ah, incredible! And I designed he, this house myself. <laughs> he cuts to this room, which is a snooker room. He says, "So yeah, snooker." Basically a points-based game. No, no, Graham, that's that's not basically, that's the entirety ah, that's of it. the game. He's got posters of Scarface in the wall and stuff like that. Yeah, horrific. I like playing snooker. It's a game I want to get better at, but, you know, it's good for, you know, pre-shot routine kind of stuff. Should have stuck to golf after he did <laughs> that interview. It fell apart. <laughs> anyway, Matt Fitz, you've made the right call, son. Yeah, yeah doing well. Well done, Made son. the right call. Who do you think is going to get Sports Personality of the Year? Don't care. Probably Lion Essies, to be fair, and, you know, they probably deserve it. Can't unless think, can't think unless England else. win the World Cup and <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Oh sorry, we've been serious. Semi serious. We do we've got quite a heavy bunch of listeners in England and yes, wonder so if, try not to laugh at them. if they've turned off, then we know we're probably right. Yeah, they're just accepting it. Harry Kane goes up it. to accept the sports personality. He's currently second in the bookies um Is he? Second with the bookies to win it. Yeah. What, the World Cup or the sports personality? Oh, clearly sports personality of the year. <laughs> the bookies don't have them that well, high for the World what, Cup. Qatar are not going to win the World Cup. They are mints. They weren't good, were they? Anyway, speaking of the World Cup, very special guest coming up after the break. 
we're laughing. Rather, no, 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 not we, not we, not we. Bryce is laughing at England's prospects, but let's take stock. Scotland should be there. We're not. We blew it. And it's now, what, 25, 24 years, nearly 25 years yeah. since we were last at a World Cup. Yeah, my, my wee boy was watching the Ronaldo documentary and Brilliant, stopped and pointed at the screen and said, wait, is that Scotland? I said, yes, that is John Collins. That is, that was, we played in that tournament. Wait, he said, we played in the World Cup. So he's 10. And he is, 10 years old. He can't believe that we actually played in the World Cup because it's like a generation ago. It really is. It's that's, just, that's the sad thing. We are absolutely and here we dreadful are at laughing at England who might win it and we can't even get in it. So, yeah. We're not very Mind good. Mind you, Wales are in it. I didn't realise it's like 60 years or something. Wales have been in it. Yeah. 60 years. Yeah, they got there. Even we're they, better they, than they that. beat Ukraine to get there, who beat us to get there. Yeah, it's kind we, of we did. Isn't? We did really well in qualifying, didn't we? Anyway, the last Scot to score at a World Cup finals is going to be speaking to us after the break. We fooled him out. He's now 97. <laughs> He's not. It's Craig Burley, of course, formerly of Celtic and Chelsea and, of course, Scotland. He'll be joining us on the podcast right after this. To create an iron that performs like nothing else, you need to build it like no one else has. So we constructed the new Rogue ST irons with a high-strength 450 AI face cup, doubled its tungsten weighting for optimal launch, and added even more urethane microspheres for exceptional feel and sound. Every aspect of Rogue ST has been precision-tuned to create our longest iron ever. The new Rogue ST irons from Callaway, the kings of distance. Welcome back, part two of this week's Bunkered podcast in association with Callaway, Michael and Bryce here. Hello, thank you for tuning in. Fantasy Golf, Bryce, our year-long competition has come to a close. We've spoken about Lydia winning the CME Group Tour Championship, spoken about Rory winning the DP World Tour Championship, but they pale in comparison to, I don't know why I went all Jeff Stelling there. They pale in comparison. What's happened, Chris Kamara? No, they do. They pale in comparison to Bunkered Fantasy Golf. Our competition runs all year, well, not really all year, from the Masters right through until the DP World Tour Championship. And the winners will be waking up this morning to discover, well, the winner is getting £2,000 worth of Bunkered Golf Breaks vouchers. So if you want to go and see the standings, how the standings are looking, go and check it out, bunker.co.uk forward slash fantasy golf and get involved next year. The game's going to get bigger, better, bolder, better prizes, more prizes. It is, as the people who play it will tell you, the best fantasy game around. In the world. In the world, bar none. We'll be going live with our plans for fantasy golf in 2023 early in the new year. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Okay, delighted to say that we are now joined on the Bunkered podcast by the man who scored Scotland's, I'm not going to say last, but most recent, let's put it that way, let's be positive, the most recent Scotland goal at the World Cup finals, all the way back in France in 1998, is of course Craig Burley. Craig, welcome to the Bunkered podcast. Thank you. I always try and when, when was it McGregor that scored at the European Championships a, a year ago, or 18 months ago? And lots of people were quick to jump on. Oh, that's your record of the last man to score a major championship gone. And I said, 
And I said, no, 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 last man to score at a World Cup. So I've all... <laughs> I've always had that one up my, I've always had that one up my sleeve but I, I mean can you imagine you know it's you know I know Steve Clark took the boys to the to the Euros uh, the summer gone but can you imagine the World Cup again and still it's been since 1998 I mean it's incredible it really is isn't it it is incredible and probably the worst kind of way for for certainly you and I and all the other Scots listening to this I'm sure I mean we've got I don't know if you know this Craig but we've got listeners in Ghana they don't care you know they've they've had a semi-final in recent (laughs) times they don't give a toss but look at us sitting here licking our wounds and I think it hurts even more today because as we record England have just played the opening or their opening match of the tournament very impressive 6-2 win over Iran. Wales are playing tonight. If we had qualified, this is the group that we'd be in. So just it feels a bit, to use a great Scottish word, it's a wee bit nippier today than it would otherwise have been, I think. Yeah, I know. But it's, you know, and, and, and I, I suppose, you know, and, I, and I, as you know, or you, don't, you know, but most people probably don't. I live in the United States now and have, have done for nearly 10 years now working at ESPN. And, uh, you know, some of the, uh, a lot of the American uh, football soccer fraternity point out to me when we say, oh, when when people say, ah, the US, what do they know about soccer and blah, blah, blah. I say, listen, they were almost in the semi-final of a World Cup. I think it was in 2002. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it was, I think it was Hugh Dallas, actually. We gave them a a bit of a raw deal on a handball. It might have been against Germany. and so they, they they constantly get out of groups and go to World Cups, and I'm thinking, how the hell are, are they managing to do it, and, and and we don't? But I, you know, I suppose in some sense, I was guilty myself because, uh, and maybe my era, because when we were at Euro '96 in England, and then two years later we were at France '98, the World Cup, as good an experience as that was, albeit the results were not forthcoming. We just automatically felt that in 2000 we'd be back at the the European Championships. In 2002 we would be back at the World Cup, and I myself envisaged being back there playing. I never, for a minute, thought that would be my last World Cup. So maybe we were just a little bit too cocky about qualifying and getting there, and it just it just hit us so hard over this last sort of. Uh, 25 years or so. Yeah, because you think there's an awful lot of very good Scottish players who have never been yep. to a major championship, which you think guys like Barry Ferguson, the career that he had, it's yep. remarkable to think that he never got to play for Scotland on the biggest stage. And look, we are going to come to golf. For anyone listening and thinking, why is a golf podcast talking about football? We will get to golf in a minute because I know you love your golf. But let's deal with France 98. Let's go back there because quite an incredible tournament in a number of ways. It left a mark on you for a couple of reasons, uh, Craig. But for the first match, let's start there against Brazil, opening the tournament against the defending champions in front of a capacity crowd in Paris. What was that like? Going up against Ronaldo, for crying out loud, I think the greatest player that's ever lived. What was that occasion like? Yeah, well, I mean, I always say to people, you know, what, what an opportunity to play in the opening ceremony, the opening game against the world champions, because without being sort of negative we're unlikely as a nation to win the World Cup so you know the opening ceremony against the world champions is probably about as big as it's going to get I suppose certainly in our lifetime uh, and yeah that, I think it was one and no, none of the guys I think wanted to admit it but 
you know, on the bus or in the team meetings, but, you know, nobody wanted to stuff up because it was such a big game. Somebody pointed out to me yesterday uh, at my work, there was a, a global audience above, I think, two billion Oof. or whatever. And when you think about that, and you don't really as a player at the time, but when you think about it now, all those people watching, so you really want to just do yourself justice. And, and of course, you're going in against, you mentioned Ronaldo, Rivaldo, Dunga, Cafu, Roberto Carlos. I mean, the list, the list is endless. They were all so, right, weren't they? They, they? they weren't bad. And Paul Lambert <laughs> actually tells, he told a great story, Paul, recently in a, a documentary uh, last year. He said, the, and it, it's, it's, it's true, you know, when, when we lined up in the tunnel before the game, it was a very wide tunnel in the Stade de France in Paris, and the Brazilian uh, guys came out and they were they were linked in like a chain. They were That's all right, holding yeah. hands. And, uh, yeah. And they were all holding hands. And Paul tells this story. He said, the Brazilians come out. He said, they were holding hands. He said, they were all linked. He said, they looked great. They smelt great. They, there was not a hair out of place. They were all tanned. He said, and then he looked across at Scotland and there was big Jim Layton and Burley with no teeth. <laughs> you know what I mean? He said... <laughs> He says, if that doesn't typify what Scotland is, I don't know what is. Jim with all the Vaseline <laughs> over his eyes and no teeth and, and me too. But it, it, it was just a great experience. And uh, we did ourselves some sort of justice in the game, I suppose, only losing 2-1, an unfortunate own goal from my Celtic teammate Tommy Boyd. But yeah, it was a, just, just a great experience. You're right. I mean, I, I thought we gave a great account of ourselves. I wouldn't lie when the opening goal went in after what was it? three or four minutes yes. you're thinking oh no but I, I ended up with carpet burns in my knees from sliding when John Collins scored that or just about scored that penalty I don't know if he hit it as sweetly as he would have liked but they all count and then yeah the the, the despair when oh, I was just so unlucky when the ball ricocheted in off Tom Boyd but we weren't expected to win that game you know realistically we weren't expected to win it it was the games against Norway and Morocco that were going to determine if we got out the group for the first ever time. So tell me about the dressing room afterwards. Disappointment, I'm sure, but what was the mood like? Well, Johnny would tell you he hit that penalty perfectly. I'm sure he would die. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there's a, lot of pr- there's a lot of pressure on him, to be fair. A lot oh, of pressure, yeah. But, uh, but come on, everybody in Scotland, including the 11 Scotsmen that were wearing uh, the blue jerseys and all the staff and players on the bench, when that Brazil goal went in... Uh, after three minutes or whatever it was, to use a another good uh, Scottish saying, everyone thought we were going to get gubbed <laughs> at that point. <laughs> you know, it was like, you know, I, you know, that was the worst thing. You know, we talked about it before the game, but you know, we got it. We can't be losing early goals and blah blah blah, and we did in true Scottish fashion. But yeah, you know, you know, it wasn't a despondent. It was a disappointed dressing room, but it wasn't a despondent dressing room because, as you said, we had played uh, pretty well against, you know, at the time, the best team in the world with all those stars, and and we had two winnable games coming up, so uh, a lot of positivity. I mean, I think had we been given a pasting, had it been five or six, and you know, when you see what Ronaldo for those. If anybody wants to go on YouTube and just watch not only Ronaldo at that tournament in the early stages, but what he was doing around that time. I mean, every time I looked up, Michael, I was on the right side and he popped up on the left side uh, of the Scottish defence more often than not, which I was uh, thoroughly pleased with. But every time I looked up, every every time he got the ball, he went past three or four players and then 
the next thing you know, the ball's flying past Jim Lee, and then it's just whistling by the post. I'm like, oh my god, this can't keep up. You know what I mean? <laughs> this guy's in, this guy's like he's almost unstoppable. So, so it wasn't a yeah, it was a what might have been moment, but it wasn't a it was certainly was not a disaster. It certainly was not. And then we got into the game against Norway, and I think everyone in the country just felt right. Okay, we're we're in a pretty similar footing to the Norwegians. Let's get something out of this game, ideally a win. And that is where you scored the, the, the famous goal that I think will live in Scottish folklore for a long time because of how long it's been since someone last scored in the World Cup for us. Tell me about that goal. What was going... Describe it for me in your own words, if you could. Well, I, I didn't know this at the time because I'm sort of players, sometimes you're a bit oblivious, but apparently, and I don't know if we, Craig Brown, the former manager, is telling porky pies but apparently at the time Norway were ranked fifth in the FIFA rankings no. and they had a pretty good se- yeah I, apparently so Jeez. I know and I didn't know that either and we gave them a bit of a, a, a we gave them a bit of a, a running over actually we dominated the game and obviously they took the lead just after half time and and then Brownie, Brownie the manager moved me back into my more natural position which is another bone of contention because I had been sort of arguing with him for the best part of 12 months uh, and when I moved back into centre midfield, David Weir put a lovely ball over the top. And the irony is that the goalkeeper from Norway was one of my great friends in the game, uh, a guy called Frode Grodas. He he had been my teammate at Chelsea. Uh, and he was in Norwegian number one. And he just came out a little bit and hesitated. And, and as the ball bounced, that allowed me to sort of lift it over him. And I always say this, for, a, for it seemed like an eternity, but for a split second... I thought I'd lobbed the ball too much and it had gone... When I saw the the net ripple, I thought it was the, the roof of the net, but as it turns out, it just sneaked underneath the crossbar. So, yeah, just, just a great moment. I have to say, I would ne- wouldn't change that moment for for many things. Uh, the ability to see it go in eventually and then run over to the thousands of Scottish fans that were in the corner and all around the ground was... And also the fact that at 1-0, we were, uh, at 1-0 down, we were, we were out of the tournament. And so we needed we needed a goal, and we wanted two. Uh, and then he, he actually made a really I actually had a, a really good shot from outside the box, 10, 15 minutes later, and the big man plucked it out. Not oh, quite I remember the top yeah. corner, but with his hand, but it was a I hit it really well, and he made a great save, and and yeah, so just just a great moment. I mean, just to score at the World Cup. I remember, I know you said you were a young boy watching uh, that World Cup. I was 11 when. Uh, around 11 when the 1982 World Cup uh, was on and Scotland played Brazil and uh, David Neri scored yeah, uh, the to give Scotland the lead and all that. And so I grew up outside of the garage in the house and come that kicking the ball and dreaming of this, you know what I mean? And it just the memories for for youngsters, which I suppose a lot of youngsters certainly in Scotland haven't really had because they've not had that opportunity to, to see uh, some of their heroes of... of this in the last sort of decade or so playing at these tournaments but but yeah I wouldn't change it for many things or anything just that that scoring that goal what a feeling that must have been as you say you know yeah. the vast majority of us can only ever imagine and you know the game ends one all we, we go into the game against Morocco I, I, and I won't tell I won't tell you Michael sorry Andrew, I won't tell you what the big Norwegian said to me at the final whistle the goalkeeper oh you'll have to now he called me a few cho- he said to me He's, he's a lovely guy, but he was a monster. <laughs> he was an absolute monster. I mean, he was a big, strong guy. And, and 
And I said to him after the game, and I said, I said, big man, you should know better. He said, you've known me long enough, you should know better than that to come off your line like that. And he said to me, he just went to me, Burley, you bastard, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> I was like, okay. Straight off so the bench, was, uh, the safety of the dressing room. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he was, he, no, he was laughing about it, so, so he was all right. Brilliant, brilliant. But then obviously not so brilliant was the Morocco game. Yeah. It's, it's funny, I think, you know, I'm sure you guys didn't, you'd have done your homework against the opposition, but there was a feeling certainly in Scotland at the time that these guys were, I suppose, there for the taking, that they were the weakest ones in the group. Yeah. They, were, they were quite anything but, to be honest. They were full of fantastic individuals. And I have to, to bring it up, unfortunately, Craig, but you hold the distinction of being the most recent Scot also to be sent off at a World Cup in that match. It was just a. It was a sad way to to finish the tournament. You know, losing was it three 0 that we did, and you know, an early bath for you. Tell me what that was like. That experience, the the high of being at the tournament, of scoring a goal, and then the crushing disappointment of that. Well, first and foremost, you, you're right. You know, you see the strength of the African nations, uh, and I think it's sort of arrogance to, and I don't think we were. Uh, we just played badly, but there is. Or there was an arrogance that it should just have been a formality. When you look at the standard, and I know as we speak now, you know, Senegal are just about to play the Netherlands without Sadio Mane, but they're still an extremely strong side. And a lot of these uh, African nations playing in, the, the, playing in that cup that they play in, most of the players are playing around Europe at some of the biggest clubs. And Morocco were a super technical side. Whether whether had we been on our A game, it would have been a more even match. I think it probably would have done, but it it was a particularly bad uh, night at the office. And yeah, and and obviously from my point of view, it's not something that sort of I trailed around my career with me. I wasn't sort of no, you know, I was never scared of a tackle, but I was never noted for getting plenty of red cards. So it was kind of out with the norm for me, and I. I don't know why I kicked out or why I did it, but it happened. And, you know, I, I wouldn't... Regret's a, a funny word, Michael, in a sense. It's not that... I would rather not have been sent off at the World Cup, but I don't dwell on it. It, it, is, it, is, what, it is what it is. And, you know, a, a manager said to me many, many years ago when I was a teenager, the man that the man that has never made a mistake has never made anything. And, and in a sense, that's what I take around with me. It's, and I get the usual people, you know, and as you well know, in social media and stuff. And I don't really get involved too much with people. But uh, you know, you cost your, you let your country down, and you cost your country, and and all that. So uh, that's, I'm, I've got a fixed skin, so I'm okay with that. I made a mistake. I was part of a team that played badly. I remember the headline the next day: Moroccans three. Morons nil, which Ooh. I thought was a fantastic, yeah, but it's a fantastic headline because it was very, um, it was you know, it was a very poor performance, and my my own decision uh, was a very moronic decision. So yeah, it's it's part of life's learning, I would say. These things happen, Craig. I mean, you know, you, you live and learn, and I, I think I think there were a lot of people who, in your position, would have done exactly the same thing and kick it. It just seemed like frustration, you know. It'd been a a tournament that started with, as they always do for Scotland, a lot of promise, and it just kind of fizzled out. So, well, David, Be well, D David Beckham, Michael got sent off at the same World Cup for a silly flick out on 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 Diego Simeone, the current Atletico Madrid manager. He made a meal of it, and 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 what 
Well, and I'm not, I'm not, Beck, I'm not Beckham's hugest fan, but he what what he had to endure when he went back to the Premier League at opposing grounds and maybe even his own ground was was unacceptable. It was, yeah. You know, it's just unacceptable. So, it, you know, these things happen on the on the field. So, yeah. Listen, I always say to people, and tongue in cheek, what more do you want? You go to the World Cup, you play the opening game, you score a goal, you get sent off, you cram it all in and one, and then that's it. It's done and dusted. Some hat trick, isn't it? <laughs> it's a good hat trick, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you look back now, as we say, it has been almost a quarter of a century, Craig. Why? Why have we not been back? What's What's the reason for it? Good grief. I mean, I just... I don't know. I, I mean, I, I think the eras just change and society changes and I see from my own sort of three grown-up kids now that they were never doing the things that, that we were doing. You know, I mentioned out in the back garden, you know, I would be, I, I like a lot of kids, you know, and this would not just be in Scotland, it would be arguably worldwide. Uh, after school, you're in the street, you're kicking the ball about, you're, you're making goal posts out of anything you can find. It's just, there's just, there's just a love for the game because that's all you know and then society cha- and I don't, I'm not saying this is the reason I, I, I'm putting it out there as I think you know an argument to say maybe why there's not as many is that there's so many other things in life for these youngsters growing up now that maybe just maybe the passion is not there for them as much and so maybe the the, uh, the rate of what the youngsters are playing is maybe a little less. I don't know. It's a very, it's a, and some things are cyclical as well. But but when it's twenty five years, then maybe that's a long cycle. Mm. You know what I mean? That's that's not like seven or eight years, and then a new batch comes through. Like what, what happened at Belgium? So so yeah, I don't know. I think you know the youngsters just changed their outlook, and you know I went to I went to London. I left Cumnock, which is a small, uh, as you know. Uh, mining town as it was back in the day with uh, 10,000 population. I went to London when I was 16, you know, literally 16. I went down there, I was starting my apprenticeship. I could not have imagined any of my kids, you know, leaving to go to another country at 16. They just, they just, they just were not ready for it. Uh, and so I think there's loads of things, but, but yeah, it's, it's a hard one to, to put your finger on why, why, I mean, why that quality player hasn't been coming through in its numbers. Yeah, absolutely agree. As you look back, though, I mean, you think of all the things you achieved in your career. Obviously, a great spell at Chelsea. I hate to say this because of the club I support, but you stopped 10 in a row. (laughs) Fine, congratulations, well done. But, you know, you had great success at Celtic as well. You've played for Scotland in the World Cup. I mean, is that... Is that the pinnacle, you know, playing for your country at a World Cup? You know, is that as good as it gets? Yes, and I was lucky enough because as a boy growing up, my uncle played in a very successful Ipswich Town team under Bobby Robson, and they were won an FA Cup final. And I remember growing up watching that, and I was be about seven at the time. It was 1978, and I got I myself was was lucky enough when you mentioned my time at Chelsea to play in three semi-finals and one final, and that was you know with all the family coming down to London, that was just an amazing. Uh, feeling unfortunately, '94 we lost to a very good Man United team with the likes of Keane and Cantona and, and so forth. And then you know you make this big move to Celtic. I'd never envisaged coming back to Scotland, and 
the unfortunate season for you, uh, <laughs> and, and that was and that and that was my best season. You know, I was voted Scottish Football Writers Player of the Year that year, and I was scoring goals for fun, and I was just having such a blast. All right, all right. And then to go to, to go to the <laughs> World Cup, and people forget the standard of players that Rangers and Celtic had back then. You know, Paul Gascoigne on the bench for Rangers. I mean, you just would never, you would never see something like that now. You know, it's just incredible. But then to go to the World Cup, yeah, it's just... I, I mean, Gary McAllister, who was Scotland captain at the time, ruptured his cruciate uh, that season. I'm going to say around the January time, but that might be a guess. And so he missed the World Cup, and he was going to captain. Colin Henry ended up captaining the team, but Gary McAllister was going to walk that team out after you know, the heartbreak of his penalty miss at Wembley in the European Championships two years earlier, and how how emotional he was about that and I saw him I saw him back at the hotel he he couldn't keep the tears from his eyes and he was so emotional about it and then he, he had the chance then after two years of qualifying Michael to go and captain and lead the team out and he ruptures his cruciate I mean in the football parlance you know life can be tough with stuff like that you know particularly from a football point of view so to get the chance to be fit and unscathed and go out there and play when other people miss that opportunity it, you know it's, it's it's the best thing in the world and you mentioned certain players missing you know tournaments now and not through a fault of their own it is when you look back and think oh god I'm sitting on the beach somewhere I'm on holiday and these guys are all playing in, in these stadiums at the pinnacle of their career it's, it's got to hurt oh absolutely and think of it this way Erling Haaland has never scored a goal at a World Cup Finals, I think. So, you've got that over him. That's something. Well, I'd say we... Uh, yeah, exactly. And my one of my colleagues, uh, Jan Agafjotov, the former oh, Norwegian yeah. striker, yeah, he says, unfortunately for Norway, we have two really good players at the moment, and, and Martin Odegaard and obviously Erling Haaland, and they're fantastic players, but it's sometimes, sometimes it's about what, what about the rest, you know, because... It's so difficult. Can you imagine him going through his career not getting to a World Cup if oh, that's the case? Good grief. Jeez, exactly. In some ways, that makes you pleased for, for Gareth Bale, even though that Wales got there at our expense. But, uh, yeah. Look, let's let's talk golf then, because I know that you are a really passionate golfer. You oh. were playing your tournament at the weekend over in Connecticut because the weather's about to turn. You didn't want to miss the last yes. chance of the year to get out there. Where did golf begin for you? I know it was huge with footballers in the 90s. We had Lee Sharp on last week telling us all about playing with the Man United boys at that time. Is that where it started for you or did it start sooner? No, I mean, it really started as a, a young boy up in, sorry, Cumnock, Craigans, Netherford, New Cumnock. My wife is from New Cumnock, which is five miles up the road from Cumnock. So it's, uh, families were, we all knew each other, and, and there was a little, and there still is a little nine-hole golf course at Newcomnock, and it's certainly nothing polished, but it's something that has evolved over the last thirty years. And my dad used to take me up there, and this thing was just a big open field, and guys have worked on it. I mean, it was like, you know, it was like seventy dollars, seventy dollars. That's my American side. <laughs> seventy pounds or sixty pounds a year. It's just, it was nothing, and they planted trees and. And, and and it's a decent little thing for people to go to and that's where I played and, and, and I wasn't very good and my dad spent most of his life up there just helping my uncle was a greenskeeper and all that kind of stuff and, and, and it was all voluntary for these people and so 
I always said to my dad, because there was a couple of nice courses around, one of them called a course called Balak Mile. Now, my granddad was a member of Balak Mile, and I always used to say to my dad, because my granddad used to take me over there, uh, and I used to say to my dad, why, why, they, why do you never go to Balak Mile? And he, he said, I just love this little nine-hole golf course at Newcomer and and what it is and and what we're trying to make it. And, and, and certainly since the day I first played it to... To, and I haven't played it for years, but I've driven past it. It's unrecognisable, and so yeah, that's my, my dad's passed away now. He passed away unfortunately earlier this year. So, uh, but he still used to go up there and, and play regular, and that's and I wasn't very good, Michael. I mean, I was really, really, really not a very good golfer as a young boy. In fact, I was the most nervous. In fact, I wouldn't chip. If there was people around watching on, on adjacent greens and I'd, I missed the green, I wouldn't chip the ball until they moved because I was so bad at chipping and I was so nervous. And it's only in the last few years, because I'm playing so much, that I've really been able to sort of overcome that side of the game. Well, there you go. You'd never, you'd never guess that when people see you on the football pitch and saw you in your pump, you'd never think that... You had those kind of things to overcome. Yeah. Tell me about the, the the players, the footballers that you played with then, because obviously football, golf, it kind of goes hand in hand in a lot of ways. Who were who were the the best golfing footballers that you played with? Well, I played with uh, my best man at my wedding was a guy called Kevin Hitchcock, and he was a goalkeeper at Chelsea. He's now a goalie coach. He was goalie coach at Man City and others with Mark Hughes, and he was a better golfer than me at the time. Around a five handicap, I golfed with him. Interestingly enough, you know, we talk about footballers uh, as golf becoming a bug. When the Italian Italian boys arrived at Chelsea, I'm talking about Gianluca Vialli and uh, Gianfranco Zola and even uh, <coughs> Rud Hullet as a Dutchman, they didn't really play golf. They all got the bug. And then that's all that we talk about when they come into to the training ground about how they played golf the previous day and all that sort of stuff. And uh, all these guys got the bug, but we, we tried not to play with them because they were too slow. <laughs> they were too slow. Honestly, it's a five and a half hour round with these this lot. And, and Rude Hullet, whenever he hit a bad shot, he would stand behind it and go, hey, how did that happen? Hey, how, how did I miss that shot? And I'd say, because you're crap, right? <laughs> now let's go. Now let's go. We're going to be here all day. So... So yeah, all the boys, a lot of boys played golf and a lot of foreign boys that came in that didn't play golf, particularly from Italy at the time, they all took it up. And the last time I saw Gianluca Vialli, and I know he's been unwell on and off for the last few years, but I saw him uh, a few years ago before I moved to the US and he was we met at Heathrow and he was on a flight with all these uh, Italian buddies to go to South Africa to play some golf courses. And I thought, boy... He really has got. He's never let this golf bug go. That's and that, so. Yeah, all these guys, they, they 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 love it. In fact, it was so. They got the bug so much, they were playing on a Friday. What the day before a game? Correct. Ooh. And and they started playing on a Friday. A couple of them, and they shouldn't have been doing that. And uh, that's how much they liked it. Oh my word! Funny you mentioned Zola and uh, and Ruth Hewlett. They've obviously played in the Dunhill Links a, a number of times now. Right? Tempted yourself? Well, I've never been asked. And two, two. I, I actually, I, I don't like stuff. Like that. I'm not honestly, Michael. I'm not just since crowds at sports that I that that are not my forte of uh, my profession. I get nervous. I mean, I, I I remember playing a Premier League golf day up at uh, up in Manchester, 
uh, or on the Wirral. I can't remember the course exactly, but it was a nice course. And we arrived there. It was about 1997. And we arrived with two teams of four from Chelsea with the uh, inverted commas golfers. And we pulled into the, the golf club and the golf club was all roped off. And I looked at the boys and it was all roped off. <clears throat> I said, Jesus, there's going to be there's going to be thousands of people here today. And I'm not kidding you, Michael. Everybody got their clubs out the back of the minibus and there was a mad sprint to the driving range. <laughs> <laughs> and and we teed off and the tee was like lined with people and I'm like, we're going to hit somebody here. I think Clarkie actually hit somebody, the, the Scotland manager. He Steve Clark? No way. I think it was either Clarkie or Dave Lee scuttled one into the crowd off the first tee. I mean... There was a lot of people there with kids and that, so, so yeah, I'm not. Uh, honestly, mate, I'm a two handicap at the moment, but my short game is around the green chipping, is an 18 handicap. So I'm not. <laughs> I would not want to be seen on camera sculling balls around St Andrews. No. Tell you what, though, you live in a nice part of the world now for for golf courses. Where's the Where's the best place that you reckon you've played? Uh, I haven't played too many around here. I play my own course uh, that I'm a member of all the time it's a tree line course five minutes from the house very tight great bunch of guys we have a club on a Saturday there that plays every Saturday morning uh, different formats every week and I generally play there a lot I I, I went over I went over to Vegas and played uh, Shadow Creek which is oh, a my pretty famous Lord. one I haven't played many I'm not one for, I like playing courses that are sort of you know when you can pick them up for a decent price but they're little hidden gems I kind of like those around here in fact there's a guy I'm sure you know I'm sure you know John Hoggan yeah oh yes yes Huggy's well right. known to us right I don't really know John I, I keep t- I'm touching on social media and that but he keeps sending not keeps that's a lie every now and again he sends me a message have you been to Yale yet oh, have you been I knew to you Yale were going yet? to say Yale <laughs> I said oh, no my no and my, I know he keeps saying Craig have you been to Yale yet I said John no I keep meaning to go and uh, my one of my regular playing partners is a uh, a lawyer, and he has some sort of corporate thing down there with his company, and I keep saying to him, Tom, come on, I need to get down to, to see this, because I've, I've heard it's a really quirky, uh, good course, but I've never had the chance to play it, not yet. Well, it's got to be done. I tell you, Huggy knows his golf courses, and he keeps telling me about Yale as well. I've never been over that part of the world, but he keeps saying Yale's the place to play. He played there a lot of times when he was working for Golf Digest, I think it was back in the day. So, yeah, if he says it's good, it's going to be good. Yeah, there's a lot of places here in the East Coast, you know, but obviously, as you said, this time of year, it's shut off. You know, it's, it's a wee bit too chilly to play, but between, we play our golf between, depending on the weather, how it changes, April and sort of late October, November. The handicap, our handicap system in Connecticut has just shut down as of November the 15th, but during the pandemic year uh, in 2020, when I know a lot of you guys in the UK were not allowed on the golf courses, we, we were, amongst other things, we were pretty free here, you know, to an extent with the with the uh, with all the rules and regulations. And our golf course is never closed. In fact, that year in particular, 2020, I, between April and November, I posted 157 scores in the system. No way! So 157 scores in the in the system. I, I don't know what that equates to. It's pretty much every day uh, with the good weather. And as I say, and you guys in the UK, I kept saying golf courses were closed. And I'm like, 
well, this is crazy because it's one of the things you can do. You can you can keep a distance from your playing partners. You can keep the pin in. You can keep a safe distance. You can be in the fresh air, and you can play a sport. and 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 it's good for your sort of mental health during this. All these problems. I couldn't believe that you guys, certainly in Scotland, can could play golf hey, neither could we neither could we what a time that was let's hope that never ever happens again we never have to go oh, back to those absolutely. things is there absolutely. a golf course on your bucket list something that you are somewhere you are absolutely determined to play well yeah but I'll never get to play it I, I haven't got a hankering for playing St Andrews I, I, I'm not a huge fan of Lynx golf because I've got a high ball flight and all the old boys whip my ass because they <laughs> trundle it down because I, I, I'm trying to play I'll punch I'm trying to play a punch shot and off the back foot, but inevitably it gets in the air. And, and then the 70 year old boys I'm playing with trundle one down the fairway, they trundle it down again, and they trundle it on the green, and they got a five for four. And you can never, <laughs> so you can never beat them. Yeah, okay, so I'm like, I've played Troon once, I've played Carnoustie, I've played Tunbury. I mean, all the times I played these courses, I was probably no, not much more than a 10 handicap uh, because I wasn't playing regular. So, I didn't get a great experience of them. I've never played St Andrews. I'd like to play it, obviously, because it's such a historical course. And, you know, I just love what I watch golf. I was watching the, the ladies' tour yesterday. I was watching the DP tour when John ran one. It was on in the morning over here. I missed the, the end of the, the RSM Classic, so I've no idea who won that. But I, I, would, I would love, love, love to play Augusta. And it's never going to happen. Oh, never say never. One, never say never. I'm sure there was... A young Craig Burley hitting the ball off the garage door down in Cumnock thinking, I'll never play in a World Cup, I'll never score in a World Cup. Well, there's a friend of mine in Nottingham uh, where I moved to the US from, Michael, uh, because I ended up there for 15 years when I was playing at Derby and my our oldest son is still there. And I have a friend from the golf course I was a member of before I came here and he used to, he's retired now, he's a guy called Eamon Gavigan and he was the sports golf writer at the Nottingham Evening Post. And back in the day when local papers had funding and, you know, they would send, as I'm sure you're aware, uh, because the business has changed so much, but the local papers would send Eamon to the Masters because Lee Westwood is from Worksop. Of course, yeah. Of course, just north of Nottingham. So so Eamon would go out there and I'm sure, well, I didn't know this, but they have a ballot every yes. <laughs> for, the, for the media. That's right. So there's a ballot, and if your name gets drawn on the, the Saturday, you play it on the Monday morning. Hasn't happened yet for me, but, you know, one day. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. you've got more chance than me then. Unless I can sneak into a ballot as some sort of quasi-journalist. Well, you know what, I mean? like, you know what? that's can... what we should do. We should get you accredited as a, as a bunker journalist, and you can come along and try it that way. Yeah, just think of the abuse you'd get if you even mentioned that you that I was on. That could shut your whole thing down, <laughs> couldn't it, really? <laughs> Having me on it amongst your, amongst your Scottish readership and all that, but but so anyway, Eamon he brings his every now and again he brings his card up to the uh, to the golf club, and it's his card from the day that he played Augusta, and he, he, he's in his seventies now, but he's about a six or seven handicapper, so he's a good stick, and he shot a good score, a decent score around there. I can't remember who it was, but he said I said so. I was quizzing him, so what? How difficult is it? And he said, look. We don't play it from the same tees as the pros, but we play everything else the same. So just forward tees. He said, it's not difficult to hit the fairways. He said, but however, when you get on the greens, 
you can forget it. Yes, exactly. They turn into glass and lightning. What a lucky man getting to play there. Craig, unfortunately, time is uh, time is against us. Before we go, very quickly, pick a team. Who's winning the World Cup? I've, I've gone for Brazil, but I've got a slight hankering over the last few 40 hours for, for a, a Messi-esque finish to a glittering career in Argentina winning the World Cup because they've been in great form and and obviously this Messi-Ronaldo debate and Ronaldo's kind of the bad boy at the moment and he's 38 and Portugal are unlikely to win it and, and Messi, what a finish what a finish that would be for him for all those people that say well Maradona took Argentina to World Cup victories how come Messi can't do it? and you know for all the guy for all the things that that guy's done in the game you know, 50 goals almost every season for 10 years what a finish that would be for him it would be fairy tale stuff, wouldn't it? Fairy tale stuff. And you, you're a man that knows a thing or two about that after your exploits at France '98. I do. It's anybody winning it apart from England, I think. You know, but uh, <laughs> I don't think we got to worry. I don't think we got to worry about that, even though they did have a big win today. A big win, but you know, tougher opposition to come, no doubt about it. Craig, as I say, I could chat to you for ages. Thank you so much for coming on the Bunker Podcast. And look, please come on again soon. Keep up the great work over there on uh, on TV in the States. And yeah, we'd love to have you back sometime. I'll come on if you and your partner, Bryce, give me some give me some uh, chipping tips. <laughs> don't look to me for that, jeez. <laughs> That's all I want. I don't want paid. I just want chipping tips. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll do my best. I'll do my best to help. All right, don't mate. Worry. No problem. Big thanks to Craig for his time. Lovely bloke. And someone that you're particularly fond of, Bryce, for reasons that I don't think we need to go into just now. Yes. You want to just... I'll, I'll tell you what. Five seconds. Scored one of the best goals. Four. As three, a Celtic fan, watching two, that with the ball hit the back of the net, I one. thought, that's it. Okay. Excellent. Against Rangers, stopped the 10 in a row. Right? Yes. Okay, okay. Excellent. Shall we move on? Well, let's move on. <laughs> Podder of merit. This was unofficial, of course, this week after I oh, won season four uh, last uh, week. We're just deciding that it's unofficial. Go and listen to last week's episode and you will hear yourself agreeing with that mm. shit. Thank you, by the way, for all of the suggestions, and there have been many suggestions for how to improve the the positive of merit for next year. Food for thought there. I do like the idea that you can only pick one player once. So, for example, if you choose Rory week one, you can't choose him again for the duration. I would of that like contest. to change that. I think if you pl- pick that player once and he wins, you get to pick him again. So, but if he doesn't he- win. You don't get to pick him again. That is good. Yeah. So Thank the win you. gets him back in. The win gets him back in. Right. Let us know your thoughts on that because it's no, funny. stuff. I don't care the thoughts on that. That's what we're doing. No, this is a meritocracy, Bryce. I don't even know what a meritocracy is. Ask Keith Pelly. He uses it all the time. <laughs> I just threw it in and out of context. <laughs> right. Is that a real word? I think so. I don't know. <laughs> Brilliant. Stop asking questions. <laughs> it makes me uncomfortable. No. There are going to be changes. I think they're going to be exciting changes to Podder for next year. So please keep the ideas coming. Ignore what Bryce just said. We value your input, really. Anyway, last week, DP World Tour Championship. We did agree that it was going to be unofficial. And frankly, it's just as bloody well. Bryce, you went with John Yeah. Who won. And I went with Rory, who was, in the end, fourth. As I say, that that could have been really bad for me. Could have been off to a 2-0 deficit off the back of week one, but fortunately, we we decided not to go down there. 
Speaking of going down, they're going down under for this week's unofficial, right? You hear that? Categorically unofficial Pod of Merit event. It's the Fortinet Australian PGA Championship. Bryce Ritchie, it is your honour. Who would you like to choose? And what can you tell us about Fortinet? Fortinet? Yes. So that's a sort of a shooting game. Where that's you, Fortnite. Oh, right, that's sorry. brutal banter. Try yeah, again. Sorry, I have no idea what Fortinet is. It's probably something to do with tech. Kinda. Yeah. Or logistics. <laughs> logistics covers a wide variety yeah. of sponsors. What's your company? We do logistics. Logistics. All right, okay. All right what's that? Fortinet, according to Wikipedia, is an American multinational corporation headquartered in Sunnyvale, California. It develops and sells cybersecurity solutions. Told you it was tech. Such as physical firewalls, antivirus software, intrusion prevention systems, and endpoint security a fi- components. A physical firewall, like a real wall that's on fire. That's kind I of mean, dangerous. Yeah, that, that'll be a literal firewall. I guess a, a physical firewall. I guess a physical firewall just sounds like a barbed wire fence. But it needs to be on fire. And it's a wall, so it can't be a fence. A fence isn't a wall. Two separate entities. Can somebody get in touch and tell us what, what a physical, physical firewall Ideally is. include a picture. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. that's fortunate for you. They are Fortinet. sponsoring the we're doing. We're doing the work the players should be doing. I tell you what, LPG would have been a better place than us. And once we again, wouldn't have skipped that dinner. I know, and once again, thank you to Callaway. <laughs> So I think I'm going to go. So there's a, a couple of names. You're on going to there go that, rogue. No, there's a couple. Oh, thanks. There's a couple of names on there that I probably should pick, but I'm going to pick a guy who I think is in good form, and I believe he's going to turn a corner next year and almost announce himself on the big stage, and that is going to be Rasmus Hoygaard. Rasmus Hoygaard. So that's the second time in three weeks that you've picked him yeah he was what, good at the weekend what is it you like about him he's just phenomenal he's got a great time his brother the two of them are phenomenal but I think they're quite early stages but he's played well the last few weeks apart from his shocking blunder <laughs> which cost me a point cost you the tournament price. I know it did it cost me it cost me the tournament I think he's a good player and um, for three rounds he played like Rasmus Hoygaard for one he played like a Qatari goalkeeper yeah so. just yeah he was great wasn't he brilliant brilliant yeah I think he's a good player and I want to see him step up Rasmus it is for Bryce I mean obviously an awful lot of Australians playing this week so it's hard to look past any of those he, simply by sheer going. volume you I think I'm going with Cam Smith don't no you? I don't I don't I think you're going for your man crush correct yeah, Adam Scott sure. Adam <sighs> I've got no reason to do it other than he's just incredibly handsome. No, he is. And, you know, as I said last week, next year we'll put a bit more thought into into our Podder of Merit choices and maybe look at stats and now form and so uh, on. Uh, this week you're just going with your loins. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, basically. Yeah. Oh. In short. Yeah. He's such a handsome man. Yes, he's very... Even wears those huge baggy MC Hammer trousers and no, still... I don't, no, they're terrible. Yeah, they are, but he makes them look yeah. almost passable. Almost. And his obsession with, I don't know even what Beige. to call that. It's not really, is it? It's like caramel or caramac. Khaki. Aye. It's, he likes yeah. that colour for some reason. Yeah, he looks like a 1994 Gap advert. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty much. He just looks so good. 
So yeah, I I, I was going to say I fancy him to do well. You do, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at the rest of the field, I mean, Lucas Herbert's there, Ryan Fox, straight off the back of. I think it was a pretty disappointing finish for him in the end. Yeah, in Dubai, as yeah. as you're kind of fizzled out a little bit. Uh, Alejandro Canizares bizarrely playing. Who else have we got? Oh my God, there's a lot of Australians. Yeah. Speaking of Australia, did you hear that they're bringing back neighbours? What? Yeah. So they just killed it off, but I think have Amazon now bought it and all the back catalogue. So it's coming back. It's a point. You're going to stream neighbours? Yeah, why not? This is terrific. Toadie gets a reprieve. It's just awful. You can just see them all, can't you? Toadfish. No, no and... I can't. I can't. What was Jason Donovan's character called? Scott and Charlene and Carl Kennedy and Susan Kennedy all down the job centre form in an orderly queue and in walks an Amazon exec and says, Good eye, Mike, you're saved. Is he, is he Amazon exec <laughs> Australian? Aye. <laughs> you get Australian Amazon execs, don't you? Uh, I don't know. Anyway, Neighbours is coming back. That's brilliant. Hugely, new, hugely exciting news. But three top 50 players in the field this week. Cam Smith, third. Ryan Fox, 24th, and Adam Scott, 33rd. It's going to be interesting to see the, the reception that Cam Smith gets, I think. They'll love him. Of course they will. Because I'm not sure that people in Australia are that bothered about the live noise and the way that people in the US and UK are. Yeah. I'm starting to realise this is a bit more of a territorial fight and the most of the noise is coming from two places. But Cam Smith, Open champion, going back there, I think, for the first time since he won the Open. They're going to go absolutely batshit crazy for him. Get on them. <laughs> Can't do an Aussie accent to save myself. See, when it comes to GMAC or Poulter, I feel like I'm okay. But uh, yes. <laughs> Aussies, yeah. not so much. Yeah. Right, we'll finish up with Honesty Parks. <laughs> you, were tra- you were thinking, will I just do, I'll do see well, something do, else? I'll try something else. No, but then it's going to be craps on the ball. What's something you wish you'd known about golf when you started? No, it just doesn't. <laughs> I can't do it. It's, I, can't, I can't do that, and I can't do oh. Jordy. No, no, my Jordy accent. Your Jordy becomes Punjabi. It's not the same. <laughs> can't you do it? No. What's something you wish you'd known about golf when you started playing? <laughs> I mean, it's all, it's all no, right. it's, no, it's no. Awful. awful. Let's stick to let's stick to the Scottish uh, dulcet tones. The question, yes. What's something you wish you'd known about golf when you started playing, Bryce? <laughs> Swing plane. Explain. I had a good swing, but I didn't know. I didn't know. I, my, my swing always looked good, but it was not on the correct plane, and I wish I'd known that. There'll be people listening to this who are a bit confused. Your swing looked good, but it wasn't on the I right did, plane. I was always, you should be out to in, and I didn't know that. I just took it back and hit it through, and I didn't really worry about anything like that, and I wish I'd known that. Mm-hmm. I sort of wasted 10, 15 years of... Should have known that five years ago. But I've always just swung down over the top of the ball. Mm-hmm. I don't really want to do that. I wish I'd known that at the start. I saw somebody on social media at the weekend where, by the way, you continue to be blue tech verified, you colossal moron. Tell you what, absolutely phenomenal. <laughs> you, I, I have you seen any kickbacks from no, that I was yet? complaining last year, I don't care. I, no, I, I mean, the, in a good way, you know, are people giving you a bit more respect in the street? No. No, no. <laughs> Money well no, spent. No, the... Uh, I didn't realise that when you send a tweet with a blue tick, which you don't have, you 
get more time. Like, you know when you've tweeted something, and as soon as you've tweeted it, you've gone, oh, I didn't mean to say that, or there was a typo in there. Yeah. Or, you get the edit box. function. No, you get to un... You get about five or six seconds to send it. So you can stare at the tweet before it goes, and you can unsend it before it goes. Or you can also just click send now, and it will send it immediately. And that's quite... I have to say... That's the only cool thing about the blue tick. I think that's quite clever. Concerning that the editor of a massively popular, huge selling golf needs magazine... Needs to edit his own tweets. Needs to Listen, be able to look at them to, for an extra five seconds. We all need to edit. And that's good. But I, I still, it's covered in junk. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't realise I'm fed up hearing about Elon Musk. I no, can't stand... God, and then I realised, I was like, this is just annoying me. Why am I getting all this Elon Musk stuff? And then I realised I was following him. Oh, well done. <laughs> That'll do it. So he's been unfollowed. Quite right too. But yeah, the point I was going to make there was somebody on Twitter last week, bizarrely replying to a Bunkers account tweet, said that they really like your swing. So you're doing yeah. something, right? Yes, I saw that. Yeah. Did you like it? The post, yeah. the tweet. No, I'm just playing it cool. Just playing it cool. I don't want to be too. That's direct. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to be direct. I, I like him complimenting me from a distance, and I'll take it. But you're but, a bit standoffish with your fans. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to be too. That just shows a bit of arrogance, really. Yeah. Uh, no, I'd and that's I'd, not you, Bryce. No, it's not me. And I've I've always had a good swing. <laughs> <laughs> it just never really works. But I would like to have known in all seriousness a, a bit more about... I think when I was about 22, 23, I wish I'd known a wee bit more about the technique of my swing. Like, what is it that you're actually doing? Because I actually say for years I just didn't really know. I had no idea whether I was doing anything right until I got that lesson that I spoke about from Andrew Jowett. Mm-hmm. And then I got that sort of like... Because I realised I hadn't had a lesson for, for years. That I, in fact, I think I went about 12 years and I got one lesson, and that <laughs> lesson was from David Ledbetter. And he oh, me- messed, up, messed up my game. That's what you get for having a blue tick, lessons to David Ledbetter, yeah. and then I went for lunch with Tiger and... Oh, yeah. No. Um, went shopping <laughs> in the afternoon with Polina. <laughs> I wish. When he goes shopping. Uh, and I didn't like the lesson. I, th- I remember thinking... Hang on. He's talking mints. Hang on. Well, Lydia Co dumped him. Yeah, how many times have you won a tour event? How many millions have you? I won an I, event I just, this year. I just need to, <laughs> I just need to sell How many spell golf events out. have you won? Who cares? I didn't get a lesson from David Ledbetter and call it shite. Because <laughs> that's what you've just done. Right? It was a For crap lesson. Listening, and I tell Bryce, you what, who plays off, what are you off I, now? No, 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 no. What I'm off, off 10. Off 10, got a lesson from David Ledbetter and said it was crap. And I tell you what, when I meet David wow. Ledbetter, I'm going to tell him, remember that lesson you gave me on this on, the, on your uh, driving range in Portugal? That I'm going to tell him what he told me to do. And I remember thinking, I think he just wants rid of me. I think he wants to get on his helicopter and go. He'd work with someone good. Yeah. Make some money. And I remember thinking that was a lot of nonsense. But I think what he was trying to get me to do was what I'm doing now. But he just didn't explain it very well. Oh my god! <laughs> Sorry, Dave. Well, I did. I, I remember thinking, uh, no, you can get him on the pod and he can explain it. But like David Ledbetter, the guy's a legend. He's serious. Oh, here's he's the back pedal. No, he that is. noise you can hear is the but chain going in reverse. He's a legend. But to be honest, we all make mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> so, jeez. Oh, yeah. So swing plane. Yeah, you wish you'd known not to go to David Ledbetter for advice. Uh, you you said it. that. I didn't say that. You said that. Just summarising. So what <laughs> what, what do you wish you knew? How much money you could make from the game. 
genuinely, I would yes. have tried harder. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I know I would have tried harder. Because like, I played a lot of football. I was actually okay. You wouldn't know this because you've never seen me kick a ball, but I was actually all right at football for a while. But <clears throat> I... There were people in one of the teams that I played for when I was about 18, 19. It was a Saturday morning league. I took it relatively seriously. Other people just didn't. And sometimes they wouldn't show up. Other times they'd walk in, having come obviously straight from clubbing. And that's fine, but we were losing games and I found myself losing interest because other people weren't pulling their weight. I felt like we weren't getting the results as a team that we should have got because other people just couldn't be bothered taking it as seriously as I could. And I think had I had that mindset when I was younger, I probably would have sacked football quicker and played golf more because then it's just up to me. Like I'm, I'm in total control yeah, you're of my in your world, don't you? Yeah, exactly. And certainly had I known that you could make an awful lot of money from playing the game, I think I would have tried harder. But at that point, the only thing I knew about golf, early 90s, I remember I've got this vivid memory of watching Corey Pavin win the US Open with my folks and I thought it looked dreadful. Because it was just, to me, he he was probably what early to mid twenties at the time or late twenties. But to me, he looked like an old man with Who? stupid tash. Paven, yeah, 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 with stupid tash. Golf was his a different awful world then. baseball cap. Yeah. His dreadful clothes. Golf was di- it was a totally different sport then. Totally different. Exactly. It yeah. didn't look like a sport. It had no appeal whatsoever because it didn't look like an athletic. No, there pursuit. were. There, it depends on who you were watching, but there were some players that stood out. Oh, don't get me wrong. I, I liked watching Norman. Aye. You know, because Norman and Seve and Payne Stewart didn't and... see Seve so much. Didn't get to see a huge amount of Payne Stewart, although when I did see him, I liked him. John Daly, I remember him in '95. I had exactly the same Reebok jumper. Everyone in my class yeah. had that Reebok jumper, but again, it didn't feel. You watch that, and it doesn't feel aspirational. Whereas now you look at the guys and they look like Well, athletes. they're athletes now. They're, they're still smoke and drink then and they never went to the gym. Nick Faldo's jumpers allied to his personality. He was just miserable. There was no reason to root for Nick <laughs> Faldo. <laughs> well, there's, there's, and he's not coming on the podcast. I'm sure even so we're getting Nick Faldo and his coach now haters. Add them to the list. <laughs> but I, I, I couldn't warn to Nick Faldo because I'm sure he'd admit it himself. He didn't really give that much. To no, the fans. but, but to be fair, but, I, but, but when I was a boy, that was a long time ago. I don't remember any of that stuff with Faldo. I look at Faldo and I just think when he you were was a boy, just phenomenal. When you were a boy, it was old Tom Morris. Blinders. Shut up. He was. You remember <laughs> the debate over the move to the gutter perch of balls, don't you? <laughs> Why is he using a feathery brace? Sort this out. I remember Bernard Langer's debut. <laughs> um, he was. He was, I, whenever I think of Faldo, I just think how good he was and he just obliterated oh, yeah. the competition. I don't think of his personality, but my dad does. Mm-hmm. And that, the generation above me do. But I don't, because I just watched the golf. So I didn't, I didn't read newspapers in 1988 and things like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Different, you don't really get that start of it. I knew, I knew that Nick Faldo was amazing, but I didn't have any interest in rooting for him because... Stupid Pringle jumpers and yeah, stuff. Yeah, no, like I, well. I, 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 golf I, just I, looked really uncool to me. Yeah, well, it was. I mean, I rooted for him in St Andrews, and I probably had one of those jumpers on when he was doing it. To be honest, it was <laughs> the terrible. Flappy it? thing over the shoes as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm but if, if somebody told me back then, by the way, there's a lot of money to be made in in 2022. This new <laughs> Saudi Arabian venture is going to launch, where you're going to get even more money. I think I might have tried hard. Yeah, uh, that's a lot. Not to say I'm motivated by money. But it appears to be so because your reason for golf that you wish you'd known back 20, 30 years ago was make more money. I'd rather be playing it than sitting here talking to you about it. 
<laughs> Absolutely getting, no offence intended. You're still getting paid now. I know, but... But it's not enough. It's not the your same. Words. <laughs> your words. It's not the same. And it's that time of year well, again, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, we're DC Thompson now. We're now on uh, March to March, not December anymore. That's fine. So I'm sorry, it doesn't work like that. It's on the record now, anyway. Um, you all heard it, didn't you? Yeah, that's amazing how things turn out. But I remember <laughs> looking in... I remember being... The, for those listening that were part of the Hilton Park Golf Club Junior Room, there were some... I was never any, any as good as any of the boys in there, but there were some serious talent in that Junior Room from, like, 19... From 1987 through to about 1992-93, the Hilton Park Junior Room had some really talented players. And the one that you would maybe have picked to do well, but there were certainly some others that I thought would do well. Martin Laird came out of that scene. Mm -hmm. But I thought there were better players than Martin Laird. Really? Yeah, and that that's just... You know, when you think back to then, you think, my God. Let's just check this, right? Martin Laird's one... Four times has he on the PGA Tour? Martin Laird is, is technically Scotland's most successful golfer in America. I'm just looking this up. The only, Tour I think he's the last earnings. player. He's the last player to win in the states. He was the first player to win in the states a regular PGA Tour event since Sandy Isle in 1988. Greater Greensboro Open. Yeah. Uh, Martin Laird is the 75th highest earning player in PGA Tour history with 21 million on course earnings. <laughs> Bastard. Twenty-one million. Twenty-one million, and you were in the same junior room as him. You should have worked harder. Well, he was a wee bit younger than me, but I do remember. Mind him. you, if David Ledbetter hadn't gotten the way, you might. <laughs> Tell you what, if I'd, if I'd listened to what he said, it might have been different. <laughs> Not too old. Yes. So anyway, tell us your own things that you wish that you knew about golf when uh, when you started. It'd be interesting to hear some thoughts. We better wrap this up before we alienate any other would-be guests. So, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening. Sorry, Dave. Sorry. Sarnick. 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 We're trying to win him back here, Bryce. Don't call him Nick. Sorry, we'll get him back. Be all right. It's fine. Uh, thank you to Callaway for your continued support. Thank you to you for listening. We don't say it often enough, but we really do appreciate you. We'll be back this time next week. Until then, bye bye for now.